Hey guys, Cade here, host of the Primitive Podcast. Thanks for joining this week's episode with Rick Beatenbow. Rick Beatenbow and his father founded Beatenbow Homes around 1992 and have grown it to be a significant home building company um, in all of West Texas. Just a really great uh, conversation with him. Two things that really jumped out to me is, is when he talked about his role as a leader and what he sees his role there being. And then two, really loved some of the things he shared about failure and, and how he learns from failure. So hope you enjoy this week's episode and thanks for listening. Rick, really appreciate you being here. I know, know you're busy and uh, really uh, appreciate the time that you are giving us on the podcast. So for those who don't know who Rick Beatenbow is, um, why don't you tell us a bit about you, about your family, about your, your professional background, and, and let's start there. Thanks, Wade. Man, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing to be here with you. Um, well, I have been in the home building business since 1992. Actually, a little before that. Okay. But I used to be before that. A long time ago in the software business. I flunked out of tech in 82. Uh, if before you were in software or after you were in before software? Before I was in software, right? Um, if you don't go to class, turns out you, your grades are going to be bad and they're going to invite you to do something else. Um, I guess I'm just not an academic kind of a guy. Sure. So at the time, my dad, Ron Beatenbow, had a real estate business here in Lubbock and had for 25 years before that. Okay. And he was busy going broke, in fact, and finished that in 1984. Lost everything. Had some apartments and motels and shopping centers and that kind of real estate. And most of it was very highly leveraged. So he lost everything in 84 and ran away from home, he would say. He ran away to California from here. And uh, I was 19. Um, he and my mom, uh, his wife of 21 years, got divorced. So he really lost everything, and I was here in Lubbock, again, just flunked out of tech, and Dad said, well, I guess you're on your own now. Uh, he'd been paying for the college that I wasn't attending, and uh, so I went and got a job. Came to work for a software guy here in town, a local software company, CompuShare. Um, I have no idea why Dr. Marvin Crossnow gave me a job, because academics were pretty important to him. Uh, <clears throat> that wasn't your thing. That wasn't my thing, obviously. Um, he invited me to give him a better effort than I gave Texas Tech University. That's a question he asked me. Uh, you know, are you going to give me a better effort than you gave Texas Tech University? And You know, nobody ever really asked me that question. <laughs> I just kind of was wandering along, and uh, that gave me an opportunity to say, you know, am I going to do that or am I just looking for a job? Uh, and I decided in that moment, you know what, I'm going to say yes to this. He's not going to give me a job if I don't say yes. But also, I'm going to say yes because I'm going to give him a you better effort. It's more. time for me to do something different. Yeah. Was that a conscious thing that you felt that moment? Yeah, like, it was. You know, I really want to give life more than this? I was just looking for a job, right? Yeah. I flunked out and didn't have any other options, so I was looking for a job. But he was inviting me to, to more than that, right? Mm -hmm. And it's a reminder to me that I should ask young men and women that I encounter that same question, right? Sometimes they just need to be asked that question, um, invited to give their best if they haven't been, right? So I did and worked for him for five years. Uh, it was a blessing. I learned a ton. I always knew I was going to be in business for myself or in some way. 
because I love the marketplace. I grew up going to work with my dad, worked for him during the summers, mowing lawns in his apartments and that kind of thing. And so I just loved what he did. I didn't even totally know what he did as a young man. I just knew he talked to people and made deals and it seemed like a fun thing. And uh, so I wanted to do that at some point. And that opportunity came in about 88. I built some homes uh, because blocks were always my favorite toy as a kid. I liked building stuff. So building some homes became an idea that I had. And I built some homes, got a blessing from the Lord and uh, Dr. Lillian Cho here in Lubbock, an oncologist here in Lubbock. Uh, gave me an opportunity to build her some rent homes, ten of them. She still has those ten rent wow, houses from all those cool. years ago, um, and that got me in the building business. And Dad was in California, trying to figure out, you know, the next chapter of his life. And I said, "Hey, why don't you come back to Lubbock, and let's build some homes together? You sell them, and I'll build them." And Dad said, "All right." And so in 1992, he moved back to Lubbock from San Diego, California. Um, and and that's the origin story of Beaten Bow Homes. That's it. We started Beaten Bow Homes about sometime in April. Okay. We celebrate uh, the anniversary around the middle of April uh, as our. We don't know exactly what date that was. Sure, it's one of those kind of things, right? Cool. And uh, so we started Beaten Bow Homes in 1992. The two of us. And. Obviously, Beanbow is known now for just extremely rapid growth and, you know, successful in every way from, from culture standpoint, people standpoint, mission and value standpoint, and, and just the sheer number of homes that you build. So when you started in 92, what was the original vision? Like, you know, like that's where it is now, but, you know, how long did it take before you realized that vision or did it just kind of accidentally happen or like kind of go through that journey from 92 to now and, and what that looked like for you even personally? Well, that's a, that's a super cool question. Dad and I talk about this all the time because really I built those 10 homes and I developed a system for trade uh, relationships okay. in which we don't take bids. We build a home on paper, all the costs, we've carefully calculated what everything costs and we invite trades, sheetrockers, framers, roofers, to buy into that and to take the price we offer. And so you, you, you're gonna build a discount into that also because value is critical to this system that we have. We wanna create value for people. In other words, more home than you got, than you paid for, right? Um, so that was my big idea in 1992 and dad loved that idea. But he added to our little new business, this idea that we should honor God. Very specifically, he asked me when we sat down, he said, hey, you know, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't dishonor God, I don't think, in my, in my business life before this, but I don't think I overtly honored God, and I, I've been thinking about this, and if we had success, could we honor God? That's what he said to me exactly. And I didn't know what the heck he was talking about, right? Uh, I said, Dad, what the heck are you talking about? And he said, <laughs> Sure, whatever, Dad. <laughs> he said, uh, I don't know even what I'm talking about, but maybe we could commit to this. Maybe it means we give money away to whatever God might lead us to do. Now, first, I was going to have to get to know God because I didn't know anything about God at that time. I believed there was a God, sure. but I sure didn't know anything about Him. And I didn't know that Dad knew anything about Him. He, you know, we went to church a lot, but we never actually knew much about God, right? So I thought about it for a minute, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, we could probably use all the help we could get. Maybe God could help us, I don't know. And so I agreed, I said yes. And I think that was a critical yes, right? 
God, we, I believe, came into our business in that moment and really gave us favor. Because, you know, it's funny. I remember telling Dad uh, somewhere in, the, in that early conversation, um, you know, this was kind of my business that he was joining, right? Um, I knew I couldn't really go forward without him or, you know, joining me, and I was really excited about that. But it had been mine kind of before that. And uh, I remember uh, thinking and telling Dad, I, th I bet we could build 50 homes a year. <laughs> I mean, that's a, and he thought that was amazing. We thought that was an amazing vision. Uh, and so that was our vision for that, right? This year in Lubbock and Midland and Odessa and Amarillo, we'll build 1,350 <laughs> homes this year. Wow. How about that for some perspective? I mean, wow. wow. So <laughs> all the big in 92 was 50. Yeah, you know, right. That's our, that was our little before you know it. Wow. That was our little vision. I'm, I, you know, just even last week, uh, I said, I said, man, aren't you glad God gave us His vision yeah. and not my vision? Remember my little big tiny <laughs> vision that I would have been tickled with, I think, and yeah. I had no idea what I missed out on. Sure. Right. Um, so that's powerful. So how how long? Just out of curiosity, how long did it take for that to really? I mean, obviously, it's not a in any business. It's not a straight line from 1992 and your vision of 50. To 2020 and on track to do 1300. So, at what point in y'all's in y'all's business journey did did you really kind of tap into your kind of progressive growth? Because you you've grown aggressively every year for 20 plus years, right? Well, I, you know, I think that the that the Lord meets you right where you are, and then you start going forward from there, right? Um, we started having success immediately, and really, what happened was. I engaged with God in that moment, right? I, okay, I want to get to know you, Lord. I want to start talking to him, hearing from him, studying his word, really uh, getting to, to be part of his team, so to speak, right? Um, we started having success immediately. We built, uh, let's see, 15 homes that year. Okay. Uh, with only eight months left yeah. in that year. We closed 15 that year, 50 the next, and 100 after the next year. Yeah. So we were the largest builder in West Texas by the second year. Um, we were profitable on the first day and every day since then, uh, praise the Lord, right? And really, um, it's been very counterintuitive, mm -hmm. which sounds like God, right? Yeah. It, it just doesn't work the way the marketplace thinks it works. Mm -hmm. um, so That's cool. I think one of the things that we started doing and started learning was great people. God sends people to us and... Uh, our leadership exists to help people find their highest potential. Uh, God made us all, and, and we have we, our highest potential is what He says it is. And I believe, as a leader, it's my job to help people find their highest and best use. You know, interestingly, real estate is about that, right? Highest and best use, taking something that's not doing well, it's not its highest and best use, converting it to that, take an old building, convert it to its highest and best use, and it becomes more valuable, right? And I think that that applies to people, helping them to their highest and best use. You know, in the early days, I thought my leadership was for me to do something, create something, climb mountains, do this, and that was me trying to lead me, and I needed to lead me uh, in a different way and God began to do that for me and then invite me to lead other people in a different way We want to raise people up to their highest potential even if that means especially if that means Not for us. Yeah, it's really good. They might leave our company or our enterprise and go on to something else and I want to be I want a legacy of helping people 
do that, right? That's really good. Yeah, I mean, you, you really got into my first question, which was how, how you've seen your role as a leader throughout the years of your leadership. So at what point did that start to like become really real to you? I mean, because I, mean, I, I even wrote down what you said, leadership exists to help people find their highest and best use. It's really powerful. What was your journey like getting there, you know, from 9-2 and then, you know, you're trying to, you know, keep up with the, with the chaos of a, a rapidly growing business and hiring and firing and, you know, financial decisions. So what was your journey of leadership to get to the point where you realized your, your role as a leader is to equip others? Well, for me, that, that was somewhere in the early 2000s. Okay. Um, Dad is a deal kind of a guy. He's a he's a he's a visionary leader. Um, I'm the operational leader on, okay. in our partnership, right? When Dad was in business, he didn't have lots of employees. He didn't organize. You know, they just kind of was one deal one deal to the next deal with with a few partners. Okay. Right? So this organizational thing was mine. Um, I think I'd get along with your dad. Like yeah. I love the dreaming and the, yep. and the planning and the scheming, and then when you start getting into the details. I, I get desperate real quick. <laughs> and the people need both. Sure, right? absolutely. Um, and so that's what happens in a, in a partnership where one of us is able to do that. So I was the organizational guy, and I was really struggling, mainly because I was selfish, ambitious for my own purposes, and really the Lord had to break me of that and invite me to, in, to invite some other people around me. This happened in the 2000s somewhere, maybe 2002, I don't remember when, but I, I really just started hearing from the Lord that I was to lift up a group around me that I already knew who they were and I did know exactly who they were and invite them into a leadership and we would lead together. And it was no longer me leading them and we're just going to go do this, we're going to go do that, but together we're going to figure this out. And um, over the years that has just become an incredible, amazing thing to give people territory, authority, yeah. and mean it. Don't, don't you know, invade the territory you gave them but go with them and go along with them and help them really conquer that territory and always inviting them to give away territory to others. And that cascading style of leadership, as we say, that's, that's highly relational, is an amazing catalyst. It's, you know, God wants us to create a flourishing for his people, all of them. Everybody that's involved. And so my leadership in the marketplace is about creating flourishing for all the people around me, right? Um, great and amazing products and services for the customers. Great experience because we're in this new experiential economy, right? It's, the experience is more important than the product or the service, actually. The way in which it's delivered is the most important thing. And so having a great experience for customers... Mm -hmm. Um, and having a great experience for our employees that deliver those goods and services and that experience to customers. In other words, for everybody, including vendors and trade partners. I mean, slowly but surely, the Lord has widened our view. Everybody's in, included in this, how to help them flourish. And if we create a flourishing for everyone around us, then amazing things happen. For the business. For everybody. Right, right. So that's really powerful. Can you, can you unpack practically what it has looked like for you over the years to to really empower the leaders around you like and i would love mainly because this is uh, i do this podcast so i can learn so i hope other people listen and enjoy it but best part about it is i get to learn and so i would like you if you're willing to be as pragmatic as you can about unpacking for me how you when you realized you wanted to really help those around you lead you know not not just for your own good but for the organization's good and their good 
what did that practically look like? Did you start meeting with them three times a day? You know, was it title changes and in, in, in the way you made decisions within the organization? But throughout the years, like how have you practically helped those around you flourish in leadership? And then I loved what you said about that cascading style of leadership. So like, what does that practically look like for you? Well, it starts first, like most things do, at the very bottom. I mean, you're in a disaster. Organizationally yeah. and from a leadership perspective, you're failing, 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 failing a lot, right? It's just not working well. And so <clears throat> that comes out of necessity. And that's a, a marketplace style of leadership that is, I'm the leader, you're the followers. We're both working on this stuff together. Mostly I'm driving you, pushing you, or pulling you, or based on different personality styles that looks different, right? right. But it's mostly still me going somewhere and dragging everybody with me, right? And a shift away from that to what if we, it, God has given me a vision for something, right? And so we want to go there and we're going to go there together, right? And I'm going to invite you to be part of that. And in fact, I'm going to focus on you. I'm going to, my, my mission is going to shift from what we're doing to you, to my team. I believe this is a powerful way for teams to thrive and become extremely fruitful in the marketplace or any organization today and that is for the leader to determine that his or her job is actually the team and that the job we need to do is theirs to do and so I'm going to focus on you and so I what that looked like pretty practically for me was I'm going to start pouring into the people around me instead of pouring all my energy into let's go do this and y'all come along right I'm going to start pouring into y'all and inviting y'all to do it I'll go with you, I'll help you, and I'm gonna encourage you. And this is a relational style. This is a leader's not in his office with the door closed or you know, in her home, behind her computer. Right. It's an engaged leader, a relational leader who's engaged closely with the people that are doing this work, right? Whatever it is. Yeah. And so for us, we call this a relational style of leadership. And it's not, it's a bit counterintuitive if I, if I empower people, if I lead people uh, well, encourage them, and love them well, perfect to be perfectly honest, then it turns out they'll do amazing things. Yeah. They'll love others well. And so for me, a small team, my leadership team, my job is them. My job is not doing the stuff that we need to do. That's their job. Yeah. My job is them. My job is to spend time with them, encourage them, lift them up, um, and make sure that they are making good decisions because we're going to do them together. I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to offer a confirming style of of leadership alongside them, right? So Cal Zant is the current president of Beaten Bow Homes. Um, my job is not to be in his way. <laughs> He's a, an amazing leader that God sent to me as a young man, an ex drug addict and alcoholic. Mm. Uh, and an IT guy leading our home building business, right? Remember, I was an IT guy though that okay. led. That's cool. So you know, yeah. it's uh, it's about yeah. um, really pouring into people, and so he's like a son to me, right? And so I have a relationship with him like that, mm -hmm. and that started early and pouring into him and leading him in a very relational way led to what you have now. That's cool. Have you uh, last question on this? I, I think I could extend the rest of the podcast here. But, uh, you know, every, every leader on your leadership team has different personalities yeah. and different needs. And so what, what's your approach been in trying to 
you know, I, I find myself like having that desire, but not knowing like what Heather needs versus what Jess needs or what Jess needs versus what Tim needs versus what Annie needs. So like, how, how did, how, how did you kind of facilitate that journey of going, you know what, this person needs this and wants this, and this person needs it in this way. I mean, is it just intuitively filling it out or, or how'd you approach that? Well, initially, and even still sometimes the answer to that is poorly, right? <laughs> I mean, what we tend to do is, unfortunately, we want to lead everyone the way we think we should be led or the way we need to be led, right? With our personality, instead of adjusting to them, we also think everybody on the team should look and think and be just like us. And that's a disaster. That's not a team, you know. Uh, And so diversity is critical and amazing. And collaboration is the right way to think about this. you know, I've given Cal a lot of great ideas, but you know, Cal has given me a lot of great ideas um, and come up with a lot of amazing ideas, right? So he's very different than Carrie on my team, right? I mean, they couldn't be more different. Yeah. And so it's about adjusting my style to them, right? I find, first, I'm committed to a relational style of leadership. I'm not going to, it's not an arm's length, you're over there, I'm over here, do what I say. Uh, kind of a leadership it's a hey let's figure this out together and first let's start with this I want to get to know you I mean I know these guys they're like my they are really like my sons or my brothers right I know their kids names I babysat their kids Holly and I have Uh, we vacation with them we know them well we're very good friends my best friends are these people these leaders these other leaders right now don't mistake what I'm saying for abdication of authority. God has given me authority in this right. business, right? But he's invited me to share that authority appropriately, that territory with these other leaders mm-hmm. and to go with them and progressively give them more and more territory and together always making sure that we're going the right way. Um, but, you know, we just recently, Cal had a big idea that we start doing some multifamily, build some duplexes and We've never done that, uh, ever. That's a brand new idea from him. And he he wasn't sure how I would respond to it even. He came to me and I immediately saw, I mean, he thought through it. He had some, I mean, it just felt like, I mean, that's what happens with a leader who is given authority. He knew he could do that. He knew he needed to get my confirmation, my blessing, if anything is maybe the right word for that. But I could give that quickly and that has spun up and and gone from uh, just a little bit to a lot in a hurry. And that's an amazing fruit of this kind of leadership. Oh, that's right? really awesome. Because the truth is I was gonna die in 2003 or four, whenever that was. I was just smooth gonna die from the weight of trying to figure this out and doing it poorly and not leading with other people. That burden being shared by everybody in the collaborative style of leadership where you maintain authority. I mean, we're not gonna go do something you know, I still have authority there that God has given me. And he'll release me from that at some point. Um, and, that's, and I'll know when that is. I knew when it was time to give Cal the authority to be the president of Beaton Bones. He was 33 years old, I think, at the time. And cool. lots of people said, you gave a $100 million company to a 33-year-old? <laughs> and I said, well, no, God did. Yeah. And uh, it's worked out pretty good. Yeah. You know, the business has doubled, smooth double and a little more in the five years that he's taken over. So that's either an amazing compliment to Cal (laughs) or an amazing uh, conviction of my leadership, right? That's really great. 
But I love that, and I'm excited yeah. about that, and it doesn't diminish my leadership even a little bit, right? I, I'm, it, it's exciting well, it for that to the be whole, true. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's exciting for that to be true. Yeah, I find I, I haven't met Cal, but his uh, daughter Hattie and my daughter Sailor are best friends. So they're in the same class at KPA and hang out all the time. So um, I, I, I was, as you're sitting here talking about it, I'm like, man, it's really embarrassing that I, over a year that Hattie and Sayla have been friends I've never met. <laughs> well, you know, and that brings up a point. We, as leaders in the marketplace, can we work for years with people, lead people, in fact, very directly, and not know anything not about them. Yeah. We're in this Facebook generation where we know lots and lots and lots and lots of people and nothing about very many of them, yeah. except what they show us on Facebook, which is, you know, that's, that's a best of, you know, that's their best of album. That's yeah. what Facebook is, yeah. right? We just don't, if you don't know the spouse's name of the people you're leading, if you don't know their kids, if you don't know something that's going on in their life right now, do you really know them? Right. And if you don't, shouldn't you? Yeah. And could we lead them? If we don't love them, and can we love them if we don't know them? <laughs> yeah, that's good. Uh, I mean, this was the shift right. for me, a big one, after the leadership thing. I remember we always thought that for our business to be God's ministry in the marketplace, it meant we made money because we were good at that, and we gave it away to other people. And the Lord started talking to us about our business itself being His ministry. Now, what did that mean? I remember talking to my wife, Holly, who loves people very easily, very well. She's just built like that. It's natural. God sent her to me to help me with that. And she has helped me with that a lot. And uh, I remember she and I talking about this at one point. Uh, Our leadership team kind of was hearing this same thing. We need a different approach with our people, right? They're supposed to be our ministry. And just... What that word is a mysterious word that nobody knows what the crap it means. And I really just mean caring about them, knowing them and caring about sure. them, caring for them, right? Uh, helping them rise to their to be their very best, right? And uh, I remember thinking, you know, I think the Lord wants me to love these people, but I don't think I do. <laughs> and Holly said, well, that's going to be a problem. <laughs> Maybe you're going to have to ask the Lord yeah. to change that in your heart. Um, I'm a task-oriented guy. Um, that's something that the Lord did have to change and that he has changed in my heart. And so it's an amazing thing to shift from worrying about all the things that need to be done to helping the people be strong enough and encouraged enough to go get all the things that need to be done, done, right? That's a shift in leadership that is hard to explain, right? And that is, and it has amazing fruit. That's really cool. Thanks for sharing all that. Man, it's good, really good stuff. Um, let's shift gears just a little bit. Um, how have you approached or treated failure, you know, through your 20 plus years of leadership? Failure is the, way, is the only real way that we learn. We really don't learn a dumb thing with success. We think we're cool, we're smart, uh, it's going to work out every time now for us. That's what we learn from, from success. The truth is, failure is the one and only place where we absolutely learn something. If we'll choose to make a different choice going forward, right? Um, There's two parts to it, right? First, we've got to acknowledge that it's a failure and determine what should be different about the next attempt here. And then we've got to forget about it. You know, Brett Favre, you remember remember Brett Favre, Green Bay quarterback? He's my favorite quarterback. I'm showing my age now. And uh, one of the things I loved about him was because he'd go out there and throw an interception and 
he, he'd be on the sideline for about one minute, kind of mad at himself, and then he's going back out there, and, he's, and he believes in his and heart throw for 100% that I'm going to throw a touchdown <laughs> in the next one. And it might be another interception. Yeah. He goes back there. And so, you know, that's the way I want to be, right? Yeah. No matter how many interceptions I throw, I want to believe that the next pass can be a touchdown and go back out there. Now, I might need to make it I need to not be arrogant right. and make some adjustments to have a different outcome, but I need to forget about that. Not let that weigh me down and wear me out, right? Right. Yeah, that's good. Do you have a Do you have a uh, a process in which you and your leadership team, you know, discuss and and document or you know whatever it is for you, failure? Like it's a really good example, and and I I love what you said about acknowledge and forgetting. Like, uh, yeah, a lot of people kind of camp out on it a long time. Um, but how how have you done that in the context of a team? Well, collaborative. Mm-hmm. Collaboration is, an, is the most amazing thing that we have at our disposal. Um, God's kingdom is a team sport. <laughs> it's about us collaborating together. Between us, we're likely to get it right. Even that even started early on with Rick and Ron Beatonbow. Very, very different people. I'm my father's son, so there's some things. We both like Fritos and donuts and steaks, you know, <laughs> and we think a lot alike in some ways, but we're also very different. Yeah. And, that's what makes made us a great team. We would we would in the early days yeah. we'd cuss and discuss and start out North Pole South Pole and find our way yeah. to the where to the right place in the middle where the best possible decision can be made. Most of the time we're going to blow this in isolation. We're going to screw this up. Me by myself, I'm going to make some I'm going to make some bad decisions. I tell our team members, our teams. I tell Cal all the time. You and your team, and he has a team around him. I didn't, I didn't give him just the job. Right. I gave him and a small team around him the job. And I said, y'all do this together, like we've been doing it all these years. Right. I didn't tell him to do something that we hadn't been doing. He knew what I meant. He knew right. what I was talking about, right? I said, and now when he says, you know, what do you think about it? I said, what does your team think about it? And he says, well, they think this, this, and I think, you know what? Y'all's idea is always going to be better than your idea. Our idea is always going to be better than my idea. And we say, first thing to do is take an idea, a really good idea, and make it public right away to the group, you know, um, and invite everybody. Before you've gone off and thought about it and yeah. cooked it up and gotten married to it, and you come back with this thing that cannot be changed. Oh, All right, you're stepping on, it's you're baked. Stepping on my toes. I mean, it's completely baked, right? <laughs> yeah. The best time to bake oh, a real, you know, the best way to collaborate on a cake is when you're mixing the ingredients, not after it's baked. Yeah. And so making ideas public with the group that should weigh in on that not too many but, sure. not, but just the right number um, that that's going to make for the right decision between us we'll figure this out that's what we believe and so it's very collaborative that's what that looks that's like that's good that's really good i can I, uh, trust cal and his team when in moments maybe i couldn't trust cal right that's good how have you approached your own personal growth? I mean, you made it really clear that, that your style of leadership has been very relational and you know, your desire to invest in other people. What have you done to make sure that you're the very best version of yourself so that you can then you know, help equip and support others? What does that look like for you throughout your career? Well, it's, it's kind of morphed. You know, um, It looked like no development early on, right? That really didn't work too well. Right. Um, and then, more than anything, collaborative development. Again, really, I've grown because of the people around me. 
Now that causes, that requires two things that are critical to this. Number one, I must first invite them into that accountability, right? Um, I must have the humility to do that. And that's what's missing from leadership in the marketplace as a rule. In our, in our political system, in our government, in our schools, Everywhere. in our businesses, in our churches, in every, in every facet of organization, there's too much arrogance and, not a, and too much competition and not enough collaboration. Um, I mean, I, I can't say enough how, how much I've learned from my wife, my dad, uh, Cal, Carrie, Walter, the other, other leaders that are around me. Um, we learn things together. Now, we'll all go off and learn something from over here or over there, and then we share it together, and it multiplies everyone's growth. Um, you know, what do they say? You know, at some point you stop buying suits, you stop being able to conquer the next level of technology. And so I believe, a, you know, a collaborative style. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of the old guy now around the office, starting to be, right? Yeah. But there's a lot of young people, and they know a lot of things in my job is to be engaged with them, and then I can learn those things, right? right? Now, I can still teach them some old things that are still true and powerful, right. but most of those things can be reinvented in such a way that they're more powerful than they ever were, right? Most ideas have some root, most great ideas have some root in the past with a current innovation, with some vision for a future way that it could be, right? The largest real estate company, or the largest hotelier in the world doesn't own any hotels. You know, that kind of thinking, Airbnb, the largest. Be interested to see how they survive COVID. Yeah, that's <laughs> they, right. They will. I mean, you you can already see it, but uh, yeah, I guess that's a different, that's it. Yeah. I, the, I, I was trying to make it an entire conversation with <laughs> COVID. And you blew it. I, I blew it and I'm completely over it. Um, it's really, really good. I do. We are six feet apart, though. We are right? six so feet I'm... apart. Although I'm not re very good at pulling roles, and so now that you say that, it makes me want to be three feet apart. Um, uh, it's it's really good. You've used the word collaborative a lot. I mean, collaborative really in every level of your business, and it's been a powerful technique. In fact, in your life. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, could we substitute collaborative for competitive? You know, I'm a pretty competitive guy. All the people that I know that work for us. I, in fact, one of these one day, not too long ago, I discovered that when I looked around, I realized we're very competitive, ambitious and competitive. But the Lord has softened all of us and invited us to be more collaborative, right? And boy, has that worked out. That's good. That doesn't mean that I'm not competing with myself to be better. It means that I'm not competing with you or someone else. That's not really the right way, I believe, to do this. Yeah, that's good. You, you've, been, you've been surrounded by a lot of great leaders. You've built great leadership teams. Uh, you guys started the kingdom at work, and so you're around other organizations yep. and other organizational leaders. So um, what are two to three marks of like really great leaders that, that you've observed throughout the years and that like really jump out to you when you think of these leaders that pop into your mind, whether they're in Beatonbow or whether at Kingdom at Work or whether at other organizations that you've, you've been fortunate to be around? What are like two or three marks of, of, of really effective leaders that, that you've seen over the years? Well, number one has to be humility. Coachability might be another way to say it. Because see, I don't think I can be humble. Um, 
particularly if I say I'm humble, I'm probably not, right? What I can do is pursue humility. How about that? Let's think of it like that. My, what I should do is pursue humility. That means that in the moments when I'm not, because those moments will come, I will be coachable, right? Holly might say, boy, that sounded really arrogant. Rick. I love you, but it sounded really arrogant. See, in that moment, I have a choice now. Am I still pursuing humility? I wasn't being humble, but am I pursuing humility? So I'm going to renew my commitment to pursuing humility. I'm going to say, you know, you're right. Love you. I appreciate that. And how could I do that differently or say that differently? <clears throat> that coachability, that pursuit of humility is, is a game changer. It's a deal breaker. In yeah. fact, God says in his word that the only thing he stands against is arrogance, pride. Everything else, he'll work it. He'll, he's, he's like not happy about lots of other things, but he's like, we can work through this, Rick. I mean, let's get over that. Pride, I, I'm standing against it. I'm going to let you die in whatever you're doing if you're going to be prideful about it. Um, humility and the absence thereof is the biggest disaster in the marketplace, everywhere. Whether it be a president, or a CEO, or the senior pastor, or a husband, it's a killer, a father. That's good, that's good. What, what other marks come to your mind? So humility, really, really good one. What other marks kind of come to you when you think of all the great leaders you've been around? Courage. We need courage to do some tough stuff. If you're gonna be in leadership, this just in, it's going to require some courage. You're going to have to do some things that you aren't that you don't dig. Yeah. I mean, some things that are just not going to be very much fun, right? right. Um, and courage is critical in that moment, right? To have that desire, uh, that that willingness, maybe is a yeah. better thing. Not, you can't really. I don't know about desire. It's about just sure. in the moment. I got to go do this. I got to go have this conversation with this person. I love them and I want the best for them. So the best thing is not to ignore it, but in fact to bring it to them gently and in in the course of our relationship or whatever it is, I need to go do whatever, uh, courage is gonna be required, right? Mm -hmm. We believe that right behind that is improvement. I'm always trying to improve things, myself, circumstances. We are, we're, we're dial twisters and knob flippers and you know we break things that are working just to see if we could make them better and when they don't, sometimes we gotta go back to the original, we, you know, you gotta have the courage to say, Let's try something different. And then you gotta have the courage when if that doesn't work out to say, you know, that didn't work out. That was kind of dumb, really. Let's let's go quickly yeah. back to what we were doing yeah. uh, and or think about this in a different way. So we are not shy about changing things and we're not shy about apologizing and changing things back or changing things again if necessary. For improvement, um, we this is stewardship. I must take what I have or am given. And instead of wanting more, I should do something with it, create something from it. We should be more resource-oriented um, in our lives, right? What do we have that I'm not taking good care of or that's not at its highest and best use? And how can I change that constantly thinking about it that way? That's good. What uh, We're almost done here. I got two more things. The, the first is... What role has vision played in, in your role as a leader or, or maybe maybe your observation of other leaders? Like what's your thoughts on on the, the role of a leader as it relates to vision and you know seeing the future, setting people up for that future? I mean, what, what are your thoughts there? Critical. Um, I mean, right, it's uh, for a senior leader particularly in our organization, a visionary skill is required. Can you, are you interested in that 
I mean, I, for me to break something that's working, I better I have to have vision, right, yeah. for that, because um, that works out more for us than it doesn't. Yeah. That's the truth of it. Although there have been plenty of times when it didn't. Yeah. You said earlier you're a real operator and into the details. Like how, as your as the company started rapidly growing, which it did very early on, how did you practically kind of step back from the doing and the details and the and the knob turning as you referred to earlier? Give real authority. Yeah. So give it away so that you have the space. Then sometimes that worked out. Yeah. Sometimes it didn't. But but I can tell you that a big way to improve the opportunity for giving authority to someone and it working out is to go with them early on. Don't send them. Cal always says, you didn't toss me the keys and say, hey, hope this works out for Good you. Good luck. <laughs> I went with him, Yeah. right? And yeah. we talked through things in the background for five years, right? Um, and he progressively makes better and better and better decisions. And, you know, he comes to a place where, you know, sometimes I wonder how much he needs that anymore, right? But everybody needs encouragement sure. and confirmation and strengthening. Um, and what I find is that is the way that goes. Yeah, that's good. So last thing, you know, some, some years ago, you know, you started handing off leadership. You've talked yep. a lot about Cal and, and others. And, and you started a, uh, an organization called Kingdom at Work. So maybe give a little backstory on sure. that and, and tell, tell everyone kind of what that is. And I'd just be curious, even myself. Probably for 15 years, people have been interested in what we were doing. They've heard about it out there somewhere. They didn't know exactly what it was, and they would call us or they would. Initially, it was our home building operation. Well, how are y'all being profitable? I mean, in 1998, 50% of the home builders in America went broke. 50,000 of them. Wow. And a lot of them were really, really, really smart, right? Um, some of them multi-generational. We grew in that year because God gave us Midland Odessa. That's how that happened, right? He led us through a young man who was not a leader at the time to do that. And um, so the way we've been operating, uh, which is under God's authority and very collaborative and very relational, these things that we've talked about, um, we got an opportunity to start sharing that with people. They would come visit. It happened a lot. Um, and, or a phone call or, you know, get requests for contact. And so Kingdom at Work became this idea that we had been living a long time, uh, yeah. for a long time. Um, and the idea was, and this came as I transitioned out of, out of a really active operational role in Beaton Low Homes, an opportunity came to share that with businesses outside of our own. Mm, that's cool. And just use our experience. This is what we've seen. This is not, at first it's not, it was much, not very much about teaching somebody anything. We were just sharing what, what was going on with our deal, right? And very slowly we begin to develop the words and well why is that going on is yeah. there something you can do differently that would change that and what did we do because sometimes we didn't really know yeah. exactly what we had done or what had happened uh we just kind of were in the middle of it so kingdom at work is not a company it's not an enterprise it doesn't belong to us it is just a just a collection of everything that, that god is showing us that he's shown us in the past that he's showing us right now and it's going to change because he's going to show us something new yeah. in the future cool. and sharing that with other businesses so that they might unlock that in their own business. That's really great. So we call it Kingdom at Work. You can, you can go see it at kingdomatwork.com. We have a little podcast. Oh, cool. We do workshops in Lubbock okay. two or three times a year when there's not a <laughs> pandemic going <laughs> on. Uh, and we're actually going to have one in October. Okay. Um, and everybody's excited about that. We're going to gather together and we're going to talk about this stuff. And uh, we do some coaching and 
we don't charge for that for the most part. Uh, we're if, if somebody's interested, we'd like to help them and walk with them and share everything that we have that God's shown us. That's really really cool. I it's the first time I've ever met you, but you know the the beaten bo- the beaten bow story and all these things you're sharing in detail are things that even from a very outside perspective, you know, I've never been a customer. Yep. I, I don't know anyone on the inside. And it's, it's really fun to hear you talk about these things in detail because they're things people observe from the outside. And I think I only, I only bring that up because I think it, it really marks you, you, your leadership, your team, you, the whole organization with a kind of a level of credibility and authenticity mm-hmm. that what you see and what you observe is what you then learn when you have the opportunity to see under the hood and see in the details. So I, you know, as a young aspiring leader, really admire that what I've perceived to be true of you, you know, is real. And in getting to kind of hear you talk about the journey and the details has been really, really fun and encouraging for me. So nice. I really That's appreciate your time. And uh, thanks for, thanks for, you know, coming in and, and sharing your story and wish you all the best, you know, moving, moving forward. Thanks. Same to you, my friend. Yeah, I appreciate it.